there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello, elegant listeners, and welcome to Go My Favorite Sports Team, the greatest sports podcast to ever grace your eyeballs and your ears. I'm Tyler Scheid, your elegant host, along with my co-host, Markiplier. Hello. How are you, Mark? Oh, I'm Busy? good. Busy Stressed? As usual, yes. What? Why? Do you ever think about retiring? No. Do you ever think about retirement at all? Not really. I figure that I'll be dead by the time I retire. You'll just you just work until death, create until you're dead. I mean, what else would I do? If I get to a point where I can't make things, what's even the point? So Do you think it's become a part of your identity? Yeah. Do you think you'd be empty without it? Maybe, I don't know. Unless I find something else I like, isn't that what life's all about? You just find your What is it? What are you getting at here? Well, today we're going to be talking about athlete retirement. Oh, okay. And how it's kind of different from usual retirement. And uh, these are some of the conversations that are interesting to have with with athletes that I've seen and read articles about about how difficult it is with retirement. Because retirement as an athlete doesn't mean you're actually retired. Because you usually go on to do something else. Mm-hmm. You find another job. Whereas traditionally, retirement meant that. You know, you no longer work. You live off of what you have done and basically enjoy the rest of life has to offer with vacations and different things. Like when other people would retire. I don't I'm not saying that in today's day and age that's very much a common thing, but historically that's what retirement was. Okay. All right. Well, in uh, in all honesty, I think the concept of retirement as a whole is kind of depressing. You know, you do this thing that you don't like doing all your life and then finally when you're old, you don't have to do it anymore. And then when you're when you don't have the same kind of strength and vitality that you did when you were younger, now you can enjoy the world. It's like, oh, man, that's kind of depressing. It's just depressing. Right? But it's, like, so ingrained <clears throat> in our heads, like, save for retirement, put money away for this so that you can do this when you retire. Like, I mean, it's a smart thing to do, and it's an important thing to do, but, like, I agree with you that the sentiment of how retirement is with regard to work, 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 and then you can relax when you can't hike the mountain or see this beautiful place or travel as much or or things like that. So I agree with you on that front. But athlete retirement is significantly different, and that's what I wanted to talk about today because recently we've seen some major players in sports retire. Some of the top names like Serena Williams, Tom Brady, J.J. Watt for football, Roger Federer, even Lionel Messi, although he technically hasn't officially retired entirely from soccer or football, talked about retirement. But a lot of these athletes have suddenly retired, and it's brought to my attention the whole aspect of how athletes retiring is different Mm. than what normal retirement is. Because as an athlete, you get out of your prime usually in your 30s. Yes. 
or you get injured and you get forced out, or there's a lot of different factors that can result in retirement that is outside your choice. And sometimes it becomes your choice. But much like that conversation with you, like they've been doing that their whole life. That's been their identity. That's what everybody knows them at as like Serena Williams, the tennis player. What else do you, you don't hear much aligned with Serena charity work. Yeah. But it's kind of becomes identity. But is that more just like people's public perception of this person as opposed to who they are? Because who who they are to themselves is very different from who they are to people, right? Correct. Correct. But at the same time, like the amount of time they have to dedicate to continually be at the top of their game is arguably more than a full-time job. It's And anymore now with the social media aspect of everything and the media attention and everything else that's there, you have to be at the top of your game. And so... It kind of is and does take over your life. I mean, baseball players are away from their families for insane lengths of time because the season is so long. Football players are the same thing. They're with their team. They're traveling. They're training. All of that stuff. The time away from family and those that you're close with gets increasingly less and less as you get higher in the ranks of professional sports. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like literally people's public perception. If you're if you go. Serena Williams, you can't think of anything besides a, a tennis player, right? Well, that's a, that's everyone's public perception of that person. The, who they are individually, right. whether or not their life is consumed by it, is different, of course, because, of course, they have a varied understanding of their own life versus what other people see. So it's not yeah. the individual athlete's responsibility to convince people that they're others, or at least that's my philosophy, and that's why I've kind of lasted so long, is because it's not my responsibility for people to understand me Outside of the idea that I, every, me understanding that everything I put out there changes people's perception of me. But at the end of the day, it's not my it's not my responsibility. I don't put that upon myself. But I know that many athletes can't separate that either. And many YouTubers can't either. Yeah, it, it kind of becomes your personality and your identity. And so like getting into the retirement thing, especially if it's outside your choice, because a lot of times with athletes, more often than not, it occurs because of an injury or because... They're forced out like a team just doesn't want to sign them or things like that. And they feel like they have a lot left to give. Mm -hmm. And so like, think of it this way, Mark, for your perspective, it's like all of a sudden you can no longer create something gets taken from you and you can just no longer create. How would that feel? I'd be dead. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be dead. Literally, like I would have, I would have no arms, no feet, no eyes, no ears, no mouth. If that was the case, because I get what you're saying. Like I totally mm-hmm. understand that. Because it, this is less a conversation about just like retirement alone. It's more of a conversation about what happens when the passion dies, or what happens when you're prevented from pursuing your passion, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's like a that is an interesting conversation because for me, if I suddenly wasn't able to create, I would have to be dead because there's other ways. I've always said this. If YouTube dies, I'm fine because I'll find something else. And I, I feel like that's a healthier way of looking at it. But with athletes, yeah, it's, it is different. They wanted to do that thing for so long and then suddenly they can't. It's equivalent to never making it in the first place, right? Or it's even worse because they had a taste of it and then it's gone. That's right. Suck. Yeah. And to get into the like, like logistics of it, what retirement means is simply the action or fact of leaving one's job and ceasing to work, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because when we think of athletes' retirement, more often than not, they don't really cease to work. They cease to work in the same capacity, but they go on to work on other things. And so there's like three different types. There's the traditional retirement, which is what most people think of, which is what we discussed, where people just stop working. Mm-hmm. 
there's semi semi retirement, which is where you retire and then continue working. A lot of teachers do this so that they can take care of like get their pension on top of and then work less hours and get salary. I've heard a lot of uh, teachers kind of do the semi-retirement thing because it has the benefits to it. And then there's a temporary retirement, which is what most athletes fall into, is which they retire from the sport and then continue to do something else. Or come back. Like Tom Brady, the (laughs) ultimate athlete who never retires because they never stop being the best. Fair. Yeah. Fair. He said fair. He said fair, everybody. Also, I don't agree with that. No. He's the best and always will be the best. That's what he said. But we also had that interesting conversation with Tony when he left water polo, right? He basically said, you either leave it all together or you kind of come back and become a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And that seems to be a good amount of cases for athletes because even getting into professional athletes, that's that's college athletes that we see this with a lot. They don't make it to the professional ranks. Mm -hmm. And so there, there was a whole commercial the NCAA did was like they go pro in something other than sports. The majority of athletes go pro in something other than sports which is basically showing the emphasis of education, which in a way is propaganda because it was fighting pay for play and different stuff that was being talked about back then. But at the same time, it's it's the reality. Some athletes get into college and get a scholarship because of sport, but then get injured and can't play. My friend um, Michael uh, got a full ride to Purdue and hurt his shoulder and he could no longer play football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's so many different things that can force you out, whereas most people's normal retirement and this is a major generality because sometimes health gets in the way and other stuff and forces you to retire early. But more often than not, it's a choice. And usually by that time, they've saved enough or they're, they they have enough to take care of themselves and they can just keep going. And that's not saying professional athletes don't. They get paid a lot of money. But it can be so psychologically taxing because it's like, now what do you do? You lose direction. You use the, like for me, I struggled in school when I wasn't in a sports season. Even though I had more time to do my schoolwork and study, I just wasn't as focused because I didn't have that set time or that set schedule and everything where I was forced to do stuff in a regimented manner. Like your dad was in the military and he had was really about regimen. Was that something that you noticed like impactful with you going through stuff? Going through school. Like school? Oh, like, man, it was detrimental to my existence, him being like, you get up at six o'clock, you get in the shower, you get out of the shower. It's very militaristic in that aspect, and it's like it did not work because we were just so sleep-deprived anyway. So it was just like it was just a nightmare. Uh, but, yeah, there were some lessons that did attribute to that. But how does that apply to retirement? Just the regimen of, like, sports being... It's the force structure. Yeah. Ah, I see. I see. see. Because then you have less structure in your life. You're not forced to train. You're not forced to do different things. And how much that suddenly changes your day to day. And all of a sudden you have more time where you're just like, if you have a lack of direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anxiety and depression and stuff. Is that like um, retirement in a way? Yeah. I mean, I've seen it kind of in my dad a little bit that when you have so much time, you think, oh, and put stuff off more and things happen. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to go through in sense of like finding what's next or what to do. And some people struggle with that when they don't have the force structure of of a work. That's why I say like I'll be working till I die. And it's because I, I can't imagine not having something on the horizon. Like I can't imagine there not being a situation where I would want to do something. And and when people get to retirement, they just kind of flounder because it's like, yeah, what do you do? Where is the purpose? What are you working towards? Are you just working towards your death? And that's a depressing thought. So, yeah. yeah. 
it's not fun. Well, the other thing that's interesting too is like athletes are retiring more often than not. They're under 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And so they have a whole lot of life ahead of them in that way, but they have to figure out what they're going to do with their time. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes like um, in different sports, like the body changes because you're regimented. You're trying to be a peak athlete, especially with like offensive linemen, the amount of weight that they lose. Um, I just saw a picture recently of Russell Okun and he was a 340 plus like offensive lineman. And now I think he's down to like under 200 pounds. Talk about a complete body transformation. That's got to be easier on the body, though. I mean, I know it probably was all a lot of muscle, but at the same time, anytime you're over 300 pounds in a human, I don't think that's yeah. good for the body. So I was thinking that you were going to say something like people kind of get tubby after they retire. But no, that's the opposite. Well, in that particular case, it is. But in other cases with different athletes, it is the opposite because they no longer have the forced regimen and thus end up eating and not getting the exercise. Right, right. But it's like, could you imagine? And and, and this this is the hardest part for me. It's like, it's really easy to with the various ways to create, right? So it's hard to relate to this. But you're um, a tennis player and everything is about tennis. And all of a sudden you break your arm or you, your knees fall apart and you can literally no longer play tennis. Mm-hmm. Finding something else to do and fighting that psychological battle just for normal injuries and basically being forced to retire from something that you were at peak performance of, I can't imagine what that would do to me mentally. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in that situation, but I think there are probably stories out there of people that have suffered from that. Do you have any of those? I mean, my kidney transplant took me away from being able to pursue sports in a lot of ways, but... Oh, I meant, like, other... Of athletes. Oh, of athletes? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's fews, uh, a few, but usually the ones that I know of are the ones that, like, change sports mm-hmm. because they suddenly couldn't do something or they overcame it and fought through and then made it in the sport. Those are the majority of the stories we hear, but I think of one... It was a running back for South Carolina. I'm trying to think of his name... He was a phenomenal athlete, and he ended up getting drafted the NFL, but he never was able to recover. He had his knee basically completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Tore absolutely every ligament, every tendon, everything in his knee during a punt return. I'm trying to think of his name. Was it Marcus Lattimore? That sounds right. But he had like one of the most promising careers. Like Probably would have been a star in the NFL. Great change of direction, incredibly fast, incredibly strong. Everything you want in a running back. And one play completely changed the course of his life. And I want to see what he's doing now. He's an assistant coach. He's a director of player development and running backs at Lewis and Clark College. It does kind of gel with what we were talking about before with where you retire and then you just keep doing it. So it's not so bad. I mean, you're still involved with it in some way. And in many ways, I imagine it's easier just because the pressure is lower. Pay might not be as good. But at the same time, like thinking about it, is is a whole different other ball game because it's it's not what you thought you were going to be doing and so you shift to then being able to teach others about it i mean technically that's what you're doing that's you're not wrong you mm-hmm. know what you're not wrong yeah i that's what happened with water polo i did end up coaching water polo for a number of years too so mm-hmm. even when i had my kidney transplant i was coaching the team that i originally was on but that was also like i always thought i'd end up being a coach because my dad coached me growing up right mm-hmm and baseball and stuff and I've always like liked that mentality of being able to pass on wisdom or pass on knowledge and you know make have somebody find a passion in something 
And I feel like that's something that you also instill in a lot of people. I know that you instill that in me. You tell me things that you thought I would like. That's why I started streaming at one point and stuff like that. Just being able to push people to pursue the things that they're passionate about and see them succeed and put a smile on somebody's face is something that I strive to do every day. It's kind of like what Alex Honnold was talking about. It's not so much that I want to see people do what they love. I want to see people excel. I want to see people be great at what they do. Mm -hmm. And it's it's weird because I get really disappointed when they don't. And that's on me. And this isn't about you or anything like that. It's like I do get really disappointed when I see people not achieving what I perceive to be their best. That makes me really disappointed in myself as well. It's like, like, this should be held to a higher standard. And I observe things around me in my life. And I, I'm just like, this is where I can be an asshole. It's just like, I'll observe like, yeah, no, I see shortcomings. And I get really, really upset about it. I'm more upset than I should. It's like I'm watching like dramas or something like that. And I see it around <laughs> me. I'm just like, man, that, is, uh, that, that, that reflects poorly on me. But I can't help it. Like, I can't help it. I, I, I have a good vibe of like, there's a possibility for something to be great. And it's just hard for me to accept it being anything but that. And that's why I get upset. That's why I'm pissed off right now at this other situation that uh, I'm not trying to talk about at all <laughs> because it's just like, Jesus Christmas, this should be easy, shouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole different story. Well, the interesting thing, even though we talked about like Players going from coaches like Tony talked about. And then obviously what you were talking about with the Alex Honnold interview of where people you want to see people succeed and excel. Where do you think most athletes end up going after they retire? Because it's not go? coaching. That's not number one. Not, uh, the bar. Drinking. <laughs> no. Bar. Drugs. Hard drugs. So the number one place they go is sales professional, actually. 27%. Sales? Weird. Sales. So you think about it like Shaq, um, Shaquille O'Neal, he owns like Papa John's now, or they work with brands and different stuff like that. So it kind of fits because a lot of professional athletes do work on selling products or will think of a product that people haven't thought of. The George Mm. Foreman grill, for example, when George Foreman was still boxing and then he created the grill, like for whatever reason, they get into sales. And maybe it's because they have the name behind it and they feel like they can succeed at it. Or is it because the skills that they develop as a team? Because it's like being able to talk and converse with people and get them to understand a passion or get them to understand a perspective, especially leaders on teams, captains on teams, especially team sports, because you're able to convey that message. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that, like different skills that come across branch into the different careers. Number two ends up being the coach or instructor. Number five is becoming a teacher, Uh which is at 5%, which is also very similar to being a coach. Mm-hmm. But like financial advisor is up there. And I, I think a lot of people get into that because of different professional athletes that struggle with finances and they want to help them understand how to handle their money when they get a large sum to then be able to use it properly. But it's really interesting seeing all of these different percentages of careers that they end into. Recruiter, I guess, is one. I don't know if that's like at the college level of like recruiting athletes or what, but they go into other jobs because they retire early and they and stuff like that, which is, like I said, the majority of people that retire don't end up doing another job. They come back into the same thing, like you said, the same sport, or they just live off of whatever their investments are, especially with the insane amount of money athletes get. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was, that was the most interesting thing for me was the fact that they go into sales. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just a job at the end of the day, right? I mean, a lot of those people are probably just settling and they're just like, hey, sales, I suppose I can use my identity to uh, encourage some transactions to occur. Glorious capitalism, the machine must turn. Yeah. Besides, like, YouTube. So this is an interesting discussion because I think we've talked about this a few uh, before. What other things have you gotten, like, passionate about that if YouTube died, like, beyond movie making, because obviously you're passionate about that and that's really cool. But, like, what else do you think you would create? Like, there was a stint where you were really into, to you like, doing carpentry and building stuff, which we did for the Corridor crew. Mm-hmm. What, what else do you think you'd branch into, like, hobby-wise that you might turn into something else? Well, I don't know, man. Because um, it's like, there's a difference between doing something for a job and doing something because it's fun. So even if YouTube was gone... That's why the concept of retirement is silly to me, because even if I wasn't able to do it as a job, like, why wouldn't I still make videos? Because it is fun to do it. And uh, with woodworking and stuff like that, it's fun to do temporarily, but there's never been a moment where I'm like, I want to wake up every day and make a table. Um, So I doubt (laughs) that that would be that. It's it's just impossible to say. There's there's moments in my life where yeah, I've I've wanted to do something creatively as opposed to uh, just having like a straight up job job. But also, there's been days when I've been like, kind of want to just get a job at the local whatever store just because it's like it's kind of fun to have the routine as opposed to anything. Yeah, it's just about finding finding what is that thing. It might become where like my my hobby is is just that forever and it's just a series of hobbies of trying something new i think that's more what i like than anything it's trying new things yeah mm-hmm. what's the next new thing are you gonna finally face the ocean and hop in the pool with me when you do something with tony not at all there's no way that you would ever get me in the ocean how about in just in a pool yeah a pool's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna be my passion man yeah, I know you talked. I talked to you about like paragliding and skydiving, and that was something you were not not about at one point. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty. I don't need that. You like your feet on the ground? It's not even so much that I like my feet on the ground. It's like I just don't feel the desire to take such a such a risk for no reward. Mm-hmm. There's just really nothing to gain for me from doing that, other than like a, an I did it experience, which to some is good enough, but for me it's just like eh, whatever. Yeah. So the other thing uh, when I was doing some research for this this particular episode was trying to figure out what ath- different things athletes deal with with retirement. And they boil down to the three basic things. And we've touched on some of them briefly. But one is the body changes, the mind and the spirit. And so it's like the spirit has to do with the idea of identity and being driven to pursue one thing and one thing only and being so set in that schedule. It is very true. Even I myself when I tore my knee up and I couldn't make it into baseball or when I had my kidney transplant, I couldn't really do football. And the fact, even recently when we were talking about boxing, it was, it was hard for me. The realization that I literally cannot step in the ring and box because I could die. Mm -hmm. It's the, the thing where it's like, I want to do this, but I know that I can't and that I, or even that I shouldn't because Mm -hmm. I could literally put myself in major risk and how that impacts you and can literally break a person because it's like, I suddenly can't do something. Yeah, 
I suppose, but I mean, in, th- in that case, is like, isn't that you more just putting that upon yourself? Like, you you never need to box, so I'm curious of why you would have that desire to do it in the first place. Like, what is it about boxing that is interesting enough that you would want? You wish you could, right? What is that? I feel like it's the the competitive nature and wanting to be able to showcase that I can, like to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily to other people; it's just to myself. Mm-hmm. Because I was doing boxing training for fitness anyway, and still am. And so it was one of those things, especially after seeing Ethan in the ring and him work and succeed and everything around that and the energy of that event. It's it's addictive. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's addictive having a crowd, having that adrenaline rush, having that competitive spirit where it's just you versus another person. Mm. Where you can showcase what you are capable of it's a distinguishing factor in a lot of ways of like, I was better that day. Mm. And it was like in the distractible episode, which I will call you out for is when you're, Josh, just say it, just say it. We're talking about Tyler and the, the hyper competitive thing that Wade brought up. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I listened to that episode. Uh, good, I got good. called out numerous ways. And you got really competitive about it. No. No, I don't. In reality, I was like, no, that used to be me. I'm a little less competitive now, but. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. I also wanted to accuse Wade and set the record straight that that is not cur- fully correct story of how I got the Apocalypto nickname. Uh. First of all, he was right. It was a poker game, it was red chips. I was having a bad day. We were emo teenagers. I think it was freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. The reality was. It had been a few hands, and I already didn't want to play poker because I was like, if you're playing for nothing, there's no stakes, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, that makes poker boring. I'd rather play a different card game that requires you to use your mind instead of like luck. Oh, right, right. Like there's a little bit in it with bluffing. So it's like, this is, I, even before we started, I said this was stupid, but I, I obliged and everybody else was like, yeah, okay. And then I was like, it went around at least three times. Mm And I was like, what is the point? There's no stakes. Nobody's betting anything but the smallest amount. This is just a waste of time. And I overreacted. I will admit it. I'll admit it. But I was not called Apocalypto on that day. Okay. I got Grim Reaper, Death on Legs, a whole <laughs> bunch of other nicknames of just like, oh, look at you being a sourpuss, ruining everything. Death on Legs. I, yes. I, all of these in the same time. You, this is like a story out of a like a really cliche Western movie, where it's like, you, <laughs> no, they did not. I'm calling bullshit. Yes, like, they did. And then in hushed whispers, after I devastated that table and sent chips flying everywhere, they whispered like like an echo on the wind. Death on legs. It's he. <laughs> it is he. Death on legs. And then everyone clutched their pearls and fainted. No, it's true. Death on the, legs. I on don't legs. believe it. I I I, then I don't know if I should. Your channel name Death on Legs because all right, and it was my gamer tag that came out of this. The next day, mm. the next morning, our our friend Jared texts me and says, "Oh, I got it," because they were trying to figure out a name. All right, and he said Apocalypto because you exploded like the apocalypse. And this was before the Apocalypto movie. This was freshman year of high school. So it was like 2003. And so that became my thing. And I got a PlayStation after that. And when I was thinking of my name for my gamer tag, Apocalypto was what 
came to mind and that became my gamer tag. Hence, and then because you were doing YouTube and gaming, all of the stuff that followed after that, I was like, oh, I'll just use my gamer tag too. That's how it came about for social media. And I started making everything that. Well, all right, we cleared that up. I'm so glad now that Tyler can retire the name Death on Legs. Listen, that came from Laura. Uh, I, she will remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there were a lot of people there and like Grim Reaper, Death on Legs were two of the names that I re decently recall throwing out. But Wade didn't give that story justice and didn't tell it in the perspective and he lied about me getting that name initially on that day. So I wanted to set the record straight. But I did right, overreact well, and he was... The record the has been set. Everyone out there who was just all betting, like biting their nails in anticipation of the truth. Betting the their story. red chips. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, going through retirement also has a, the, the mental challenge, just getting back into the actual topic. Mm -hmm. A lot of athletes end up going through a lot of anxiety and depression because the lack of sense of direction, feeling like they've been abandoned, they're no longer around the team, they're no longer around the sport. And a lot of times they get forgotten if they weren't the big name who had major brand deals or um, you know, financial security, your agents tend to slip away. It's like all of these things that have been a part of your life for years and years disappear and you're alone and you're isolated and you don't know what to do and so you get in your own head and oftentimes retired athletes have to fight depression they fight their body changes there's they're all of that it's something that's that does happen in other like retirements but it's a, i feel like it's just a little bit different the realization of like i can't do this anymore mm. or a lot of times it's i'm not good enough no team wants to sign me and that's a way that people get forced into retirement. They got to find a different direction and they find other jobs and other careers and other paths. And I mean, CTE is also a thing with football, the, the way the mind changes. And, you know, a lot of times with athletes too, people mooch off of them and they're right there for the success. And then they're gone as soon as something bad happens. Mm -hmm. Retirement's tough, which honestly is why it terrifies me. Terrifies you? Why does it terrify you? I, I don't know. I So when I'm not busy, uh, I get in my worst mental state. I get anxious about everything. I start overthinking and worrying about stuff. I start getting down on myself because it's like I feel like I'm not wanted or needed. This is an interesting thing, the perspective that I always talked about is like, I don't want to be needed. I know I'm capable. I know I can help people. I, I, I'm happy to help people. I love doing that. But I want to be wanted. I want to be invited to the things where it's not what I can offer, it's just that they want me around. Mm -hmm. Which is why in a lot of ways, like I'm very loyal to the people that have been like that, like you, like Wade, like Bob, uh, and the various friends that I'm around when it's it's like, hey, I just want to be close by so we can hang out or talk about stuff. Or even if it's just talking about whatever's going on in their lives, like the idea of being wanted is so much more meaningful to me than being needed. Yeah, but isn't that a separate thing though from the work though? It's hard for me to separate it because like when it comes to work, it's almost like I know I'm capable and I'm needed. But when it comes to like the social aspect of things, there's a level of team unity where it's like, no, I want you as a part of my team. Right. Mm, I get you. And it's not always about like I'm capable, but it's about what like atmosphere I bring. It's actually one of the greatest compliments I had. And it was why you why are you were filming was multiple members of the people that were working on your recent movie texted me asking me where I was. Mm -hmm. 
they just wanted me there. It was like they missed me. And that that was very meaningful to me, just hearing from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's just like different. It it is very different from like my perspective on things. Is because like for me, and it's not like I'm disagreeing with anything you say, because I can definitely see the appeal in that. But how I have mm-hmm. always operated um is less about wanting to be wanted. Um, and I think that that is like a very common mindset, especially among people in in this field of like entertainment in general. Like you kind of some people think you need that. But I think that's what people don't understand about me is that I don't operate with that mentality. I am indifferent towards people wanting me. And in, in many cases, there are times when I hear about like someone wanting me to be at a thing or like be involved in my life and I actively act against that. I'm like, I instantly am opposed to it um, because I'm a very solitary person. And I think that like is the difference. Like you're extroverted and I am introverted. Mm -hmm. I want to be proud of myself above all things. And it's like, I think that it's an unhealthy mentality that I have. I'm not saying it's healthy in any way. Um, I know it's unhealthy in a lot of things. But at the same time, it's just like, that's just my perspective about it. And I think when you, athletes are probably a similar breed is like, they want to excel. And I, I agree with that. I want to excel. I want to be great at what I do. And that's above everything else. Whether or not people care about what I do is secondary. I like it. It's not like I ignore it. But I'm like, do you think that you, above all else, want to excel more than you want to be approved i think it varies per the area i'm within Mm -hmm. so like when i work with you when i've done production and stuff like that everything for me is more of wanting to put my best foot forward for the project Mm -hmm. for everything to make it the best that it can be because that's the goal right it's not about me it's not about me being wanted or in any aspect it's about the project and what the greater overall picture is and i get great passion and drive about that. And that's the same thing with athletics. But in general life things, one of the hardest things I deal with is I know what I can offer. I know the skills that I bring. I know what I can do when somebody needs me. Mm. It's the times when, and I, and it might be the perspective more of the fact, like when I went through my kidney stuff and when I went through all these other things where I couldn't do the things that I felt like I could do is where I started to realize like, Sometimes I want to be wanted over being needed. And that's only in certain aspects of my life. So it's like, I wasn't needed to be a coach. They could have found somebody else, but I was wanted by this this group because of my experience being a goalie and being a field player in water polo and that I knew knew the people that were there. But like, there's a level of like, oh, he has this and can do this, so I need I need you to come put together the shelf, right? I've had people that have, like, to me, it makes me feel used. I've been invited to something because I know how to run an event, and it's not initially created like, hey, I want you to do this. I need somebody who can help with this. It's I'm inviting you, and then they suddenly thrust this responsibility upon me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that's where it kind of feels like, Do you turn Um, it down, though? Well, usually when I'm invited, I don't know. And I try to turn it down sometimes, but sometimes I don't because maybe there is that need to please in there. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm thinking is like because they know that you might say yes because you don't want to let them down. Right. And that's that's Mm -hmm. like think about it this way. How often do I ask you to something only to work on something because I know you can do it? That's also part of the thing is like 
I'm not different. <laughs> <laughs> but you are because you're very straightforward about it. You don't trick me into it. Oh, right, right. You know that every time I'm calling you up, it's <laughs> not something. every time. It's pretty much every time. I'm very purpose oriented in my social interactions. And that's, yeah, but that's, that's a fault of mine. And I know that very true. But it's like also that's, like, I it's also like, I've, yeah, I've known you for years. It's versus like people that are, it's like, um, name names. The clout. Name names. Clout chasing. Name names. Name God. Name no. names. I'm not naming Name names. Expose them. Expose them. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. God, I want to. Well, know. you know of one. I talked to you. You talked to you about it when I first moved out here. That was one of my bad ex. <laughs> oh, what's well, not that? No, recent. <laughs> recent. Yeah, I've been a lot. I've been a lot better and a lot more guarded about it. But this, oh, uh, there's been one there's been one person recently that it's like hard to tell but it was like you know i i'm i like to be helpful and so i met this person they're like oh yeah i need i need to move this couch the, the next day and i was like oh okay and so i was like i mean i guess i could help with that and so running into that and then afterwards it just felt awkward because i got there and then i wasn't moving a couch they asked me to put up a shelf ah interesting and so i put up a shelf and i was like this is really weird were they helping you put up the shelf, or was it just you? It was just me. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Are they watching you? Yes. Smoking a cigarette? Not oh, smoking a cigarette, no. Oh. Yeah, like that, like that. Put that up. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> How do you get yourself in that situation? See, that's what I don't I even don't understand. I don't know. I never would even be in that situation in the first place. I don't know how you took the steps to get there. I don't know either. I, th but this isn't the only Is time that it's happened. As a girl? So, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about athlete retirement. Uh -huh, sure, we are. No, I like this conversation more. No, oh, no. no but at, getting back into the athletes, not about me anymore. But yeah, athletes, when it comes to retirement, they just end up going into a different venture. They end up falling back into the same sport, whether it's coaching, whether it's being a trainer, whether it's building something that the sport already didn't have, working in the governing body, buying a team or investing in a team, it's like they gravitate back towards the things they're passionate about, or they move on and get a regular job, mm -hmm. a normal, not athlete job. But yeah. it's very interesting looking at careers and athletes because they get out of it at a young age. And next thing you know, you could see them, you know, being a manager at a Walmart or walking around at a Papa John's or stuff. And it's a recognition too, more than anything that they're just like regular people, which they are, of course. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, if we retired or if we got away from content creation, I know plenty of people who stepped away from content creation and went back to working a nine to five Twitter's job. Weak. We couldn't handle it. I think Pathetic. more. I feel like there were other circumstances involved, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with that. Just like those athletes couldn't cut the mustard, pathetic quitters couldn't hurdle the last hurdle. Yeah, uh, I just like you. <laughs> I literally was saying that. Your kidneys couldn't take it. No, weak. they couldn't. Weak. <laughs> I was born weak. No, 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 no. You let them fail through your own lack of effort. Should have drank more water. 
How do you fix that? How do you fix that? Yes, entirely. That's how you water. fix your kidneys. Just <laughs> chug water. Just chug water, five head. Doy. I just wanted to discuss how athletes, what athletes go through when they retire and the different different parts of it. Because athlete retirement is different than... it all. Yeah, it all boils down to self-identity. Just like many things in yeah. the human condition. Like, it, it is all down to who you feel you are. If you are your entire sport and that's all you'll ever be, then you can't move on and see what you could be. And so each person, like, has a different way through that. That is part of their journey. And for those of you who are not sport people, like, thinking about this, like, I, I would put it, like... Yeah, it is just a very human thing, and it's a very weird world to be in. It is very outside of the norm to live in a in a life that is just purely about, you know, athleticism and being the best in that case, and it is different. But we all have the same... We all poop. We all yep. poop. That's the thing that binds us. The way I relate it to is, like, if you focus on one thing, and that's the one thing, and you wrap your identity around it, You everything is focused on it. It's your dream. It's your goal. It's your passion. You get to the point, and you get to the point, and suddenly the journey's over, and all of it was that one thing. Sometimes it's really hard to find the next thing, and that's what the majority of high-tier athletes do because they start at a young age. In order to be that successful, they start into sports at a young age, especially at the Olympic level, because that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. You really do shape your body around the sport, in a lot of ways that shapes your mindset and shapes your identity and finding things outside of that when you've been so driven and so pursuant on that one thing becomes extremely difficult because the last time you did it was when you were so young. Oh, wait, why? Wait, what did I miss when you were so young? Yeah, because you your focus point started at a young age. Oh, right. So it's been so, so long since Olympic you last. The Olympic babies are the true, yeah. like, it's actually a tragedy because so many of those Olympic babies are not going to make it. Not that they're going to die. They're just not going to make it into the Olympics. I was like, Mark, what are you doing to the Olympic babies? <laughs> I'm not doing anything to the Olympic babies. They failed. They were weak. Pathetic. They couldn't cut the mustard. Pathetic. I've I really, the phrase cut the mustard always just yeah, where does that come from? I don't even know what it is. Cut the mustard. Uh, origin. First recorded phrase is oh, by O. Henry in 1907 in a story called The Heart to the West. I looked around and found a proposition that exactly cut the mustard. Well, that didn't explain anything. The uh, definition merely showed me an example, and it said it, he couldn't cut the mustard as a hockey player. That was, that was the phrase in there, so it was already a sports reference. Oh, possibly derived from the idiom to pass muster, which is military troops, they muster uh, the troops. I would understand that more that it was a misunderstanding of what it actually was. Because yeah. I, I'd like to think that a lot of the um a lot of the these phrases aren't like some clever thing. It is literally someone was dumb and that dumbness was contagious. That makes so much more sense. That's pretty accurate. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of memes. Really? Yeah. Cut the mustard doesn't make any sense. It's just like when people say, anyways, that's not grammatically correct, but it is common. Yeah. You know, those kind of things. They're just like bastardizations of the language. It's weak, pathetic, couldn't cut the muster. It doesn't sound right, but that is. Yeah. I do it all the time. You know, my mispronunciations and everything else. I use words the wrong way, but you say it confidently, they believe you. What about archive? Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Go to store.gmfsd.com. Get some sports memorabilia you and merch. You finger sports! 
Yes, uh, you doing that will help keep us from retiring. It, it's honestly kind of true, but also, yeah. Support the podcast however you like, and uh, make sure and watch video exclusively on Spotify. Go check mm-hmm. out Mark wherever you can find Markiplier. He's everywhere. Uh, and then me in the small section of the internet that I exist. If you have an iFinger Sports hat or foam finger or both, post a picture of it. I want to see it. I want to see people with the iFinger Sports stuff. Mark, I actually have uh, I have I have stuff here for you. Actually, I'm gonna go get it right now so some people can see it. Oh, okay. If you have time. Yeah, sure. <sighs> Alright, I'm here. I got you a matching shirt for your hat. Yay! And a foam finger. Whoa! Thank you. I can't wait for people to post pictures on the subreddit. Reddit.com slash r slash GMFST. Join us in the community to help accuse Tyler and hold him accountable for all his crimes. I have many crimes. Yes, he has a crime. All right. Bye. Bye.